0: I assume you you never had the opportunity to meet Kubrick, did you? I mean, you've met no. these other ones no. that you grew up with. No. What, what would you want to talk to Stanley Kubrick about if given the opportunity? Oh my goodness! Um, I think I well, it's paradoxical because what I'd like to know is how he would have finished Eyes Wide Shut. Because when I started looking at the reality of how the film was finished and at what point he died, you know, he died before the scoring sessions were completed, and so even though I think the studio appropriately put out the film as mm-hmm. his version of the film, knowing where that happens in my own process, I realised it was a little bit early. And indeed, I, um, at the urging of um, Scott Founders, actually, who used to write for Variety, I, I took another look at the film because I hadn't, it hadn't really worked for me the first time I saw it. I was a little disappointed. Um, and watching again, I realised that it is an extraordinary achievement. But it is a little bit hampered by very, very small and superficial, almost technical flaws that I'm pretty sure he would have absolutely ironed out. I mean, it's literally things like, you know, the the sound that runs over a second unit shop of an intersection in New York, and then there's a sort of hard cut in the sound when they cut to the the back lot set. Right. So a lot of people sort of felt it looked artificial and all the rest. And you, you look at it again, and you're like There are only a couple of small technical things that betray that that I I have a feeling would have been ironed out. Well, knowing his meticulousness, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and his meticulousness and the way he would cut his films. I mean, he literally recut 2001 on the boat from London over to New York (laughs) to premiere the film and then cut it again after the premiere. And when I say cut it again, I mean, there are some really significant things. Some of the intertitles were added after the premiere. Uh, You know, I think you cut about 20 minutes of the film and really significant things.
1: Good evening. I'm sorry not to be able to be with you tonight to receive this great honor of the D.W. Griffith Award, but I'm in London making eyes wide shut with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And just about this time, I'm probably in the car on the way to the studio, which, as it happens, reminds me of a conversation I had with Steven Spielberg about what was the most difficult and challenging thing about directing a film. And I believe Stephen summed it up about as profoundly as you can. He thought the most difficult and challenging thing about directing a film was getting out of the car. I'm sure you all know the feeling. But at the same time, anyone who has ever been privileged to direct a film also knows that although it can be like trying to write war and peace in a bumper car in an amusement park, when you finally get it right, there are not many joys in life that can equal the feeling. I think there's an intriguing irony in naming the Lifetime Achievement Award after D.W. Griffiths because his career was both an inspiration and a cautionary tale. His best films will always rank among the most important films ever made, and some of them made him a great deal of money. He was instrumental in transforming movies from a Nickelodeon novelty to an art form, and he originated and formalized much of the syntax of movie making, now taken for granted. He became an international celebrity, and his patronage included many of the world's leading artists and statesmen of the time. But Griffith was always ready to take tremendous risks in his films and in his business affairs. He was always ready to fly too high. And in the end, the wings of fortune proved for him, like those of Icarus, to be made of nothing more substantial than wax and feathers, And like Icarus, when he flew too close to the sun, they melted. And the man whose fame exceeded the most illustrious filmmakers of today spent the last 17 years of his life shunned by the film industry he had created. I've compared Griffith's career to the Icarus myth, but at the same time, I've never been certain whether the moral of the Icarus story should only be, as is generally accepted, don't try to fly too high, or whether it might also be thought of as, forget the wax and feathers and do a better job on the wings. One thing, however, is certain, D.W. Griffith left us with an inspiring and intriguing legacy. And the award in his name is one of the greatest honors a film director can receive. Something for which I humbly thank all of you very much.
2: Hello. And it's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. And that, of course, was Stanley J. Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick, director, provocateur, photographer, madman, according to some. Some wanted to kill him. Some wanted to love him, hate him. I mean, whatever. This is how he's described realism, dark humor, unique cinematography, extensive set designs, and evocative use of music. He was born on July 26, 1928, in New York City, and he died March seventh, 1999, at the age of 70, upon finishing Eyes Wide Shut, which still, in itself, that version is mysterious, Because it wasn't really the version I think he intended. But as the studios often do. Yeah. He was the first of two children to Jacob Leonard Kubrick. Known as Jack or Jackoose and wife Sadie Kubrick. He has a sister, Barbara. Who's still with us? He began as a photographer in the 1940s for Look Magazine. Kubrick supplemented his income by playing chess for quarters in Washington Square Park, various Manhattan chess clubs. Oh my God. Visual style, I mean, I'm not going to read it as an artist myself, as a filmmaker. It's all about Kubrick. Everyone will say that. His last project, I think it was going to be AI. He handed it over to Steven Spielberg. Spielberg finished it in 2001. There's so much that we could say about Stanley Kubrick. He has been parodied. He has been lampooned. His films can be unsettling. They can fuck you around. They can slap you around. And if you notice in that speech, he doesn't really talk about himself. He talks about D.W. Griffin. Because as a filmmaker and as an artist, he didn't like talking about himself. He very rarely gave interviews. We could talk about the unrealized projects. Not going to. We could. Co- I mean, there's so much controversy steeped in his films. From Stephen King's opinion of how The Shining came out. He didn't particularly like The Shining movie. He said his the book was warm, whereas Kubrick's film was cold. Both versions are cinematic masterpieces in the world of Stanley Kubrick. When you say Stanley Kubrick and you say that name, it's like someone just hit a gong. And they either are delighted, aroused, or in complete and utter fear. His filmography, oh my God. First film, Fear and Desire, in 1953, followed by Killer's Kiss in 1955, The Killing in 1956, and of course, Paths of Glory in 1957. Spartacus in 1960, 1962's Lolita, and we arrive at Dr. Strange Love in 1964. In fact, the premiere of Dr. Strangelove was supposed to happen on November 22nd, 1963. And it didn't because that was the day the president, JFK, was assassinated. And so it was postponed. A lot of these things we're just learning about. A first test screening of the film was scheduled for November 22, 1963, the day of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. The film was just weeks from its scheduled premiere. But because of the assassination, the release was delayed until late January 1964, as it was felt that the public was in no mood for such a film any sooner. During post production, one line by Slim Pickens, a fellow could have a pretty good weekend in Dallas with all that stuff, was dubbed to change. Dallas to Vegas, since Dallas was where Kennedy was killed, the original reference to Dallas survives in the English audio of the French subtitled version of the film. The assassination also serves as another possible reason that the pie fight scene was cut in the scene after Muffley takes a pie in the face. General Turgenson exclaims, "Gentlemen, our gallant young president has been struck down in his prime." Editor Anthony Harvey stated that the scene would have stayed except that Columbia Pictures were horrified and thought it would offend the president's family. Kubrick and others have said that the scene had already been cut before preview night because it was inconsistent with the rest of the film. Oh my God, that film. Mm. Absolutely love Doctor Strange. Especially in this crazy world that we live in. You look at the parallels. Yeah. And I I have a personal connection with Dr. Strangelove. I remember I was in college and the teacher was assigning films. And I got Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And another student, she got Dr. Strangelove. And I was laughing hysterically at her speech. And I told her, I want to watch the film. And one day it came on TCM and I was watching it with my grandfather. And he was howling, laughing. So that's the power of cinema. And now we arrive at 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey. At first, I couldn't get into the film. It was a friend who took, who really got me to watch it and to love it because some people have called the film boring. It is a visual masterpiece of life, death, and rebirth, and everything in between. And you think of the fact that Stanley Kubrick died in 1999 and didn't get to see the century that he made famous in the film. 1971's A Clockwork Orange. Oh my God. A Clockwork Orange really, if you look at now, it's here. It's been here for a while. An uprising of youth. And why? Because society has built it that way. Society has basically gone to the wayside. You have no rights anymore. All you have is... Dog-eat-dog, fight for your right to party, basically. And I remember when the pandemic first hit, and I was coming home from the uh, grocery store, and I saw some kids kicking garbage on the railroad tracks, and I thought, it's like out of a clockwork orange. This dystopian world where cities were literally silent. There were were ghost towns. People weren't leaving. Hence why everyone has a form of agoraphobia. 1975's Barry Lyndon, wild, and of course Kubrick was smart to cho- choose a narcissist son of a bitch um Ryan O'Neill. And of course the shining legendary Jack Nicholson. Now, I can understand King Stephen King's reason, rationale for not liking the film because of how so Shelley Duvall's character is crying all the time and in hysterics. I can understand that, but that aside, the film really is a masterpiece, and Jack Nicholson's performance, followed by um, the young man who played Danny. Danny Lloyd, yeah, Scatman Carruthers. Oh my goodness, yeah. And if you have telepathy, well, yeah. When he calls him Doc and he just looks at him. People that shad. Yep. Full Metal Jacket 1987. This was Kubrick's final film until 1999's Eyes Wide Shut. Full Metal Jacket is intense. It is not. You know a lot of the films that they did about. um, The Vietnam War. You know they're dramatized. Full metal jacket was in your face. It fucked you around, and that's what I'm talking about. Kubrick, Kubrick did not play it safe. So for him to say, you know, about Icarus and flying too close to the sun, and D.W. Griffin flying too close to the sun, as did Stanley Kubrick, and how I ro- how odd that. That would be his final speech, that would be his final interview before dying. And I was I was thinking of my friend um Strombo, who often flies too close to the sun himself, and reminds us every day about authenticity. And that's why I love and admire my friend is the authenticity of uh being yourself. And yes, flying too close to the sun. And it's essential. Not everyone can do it. Not everyone can stomach it. And that's why not everyone could stomach Stanley Kubrick. His films have been hated, reviled, loved, feared. They turn people on. They turn people off. And that's that really is the true essence of an artist. Is the number of people that love you and the number of the people that hate you. Think about that. The fact that he took a blacklisted writer, Donald Trumbo, him and uh, Kurt Douglas, and boom, you've got Spartacus. Talk about going against the grain. Going against the establishment. Going against the system. That was Stanley Kubrick's middle name. Going against the sta- uh, the establishment. And then in 1971, (sighs) Clockwork Orange. And then what happens? People started killing and copycatting the film. And so Kubrick had the power to say to Warner Brothers, pull the film. And they pulled the film. And it did not play in theaters in England until a year after his death in 2000. Or even the version of Clockwork Orange. I remember my professor Uh, Dr. Moquette, who said to me that there's footage missing from the version that we see now because she saw the original version and talks like that in the Nasdaq. That's the power of a filmmaker. That's the power of a filmmaker to put out The Shining and have the author pissed about it even though he signed the rights away. He signed the rights away and he got a check out of it. Eyes Wide Shut, which really divided people. Or as I, I think the one person that shines in uh, speaking of shining shines, uh, no pun intended, in Eyes Wide Shut is Nicole Kidman because of the way she looks at her real life husband, <coughs> Tom Cruise, and says, if you men only knew. Just the way she looks at him as she says that. Or even she's probably tired of being Not only with him on screen, but off screen. You can just see it. She wasn't entirely acting. And that's what Kubrick brought out of his actors. Fear, love, desire. Quenching the thirst. He really did quench your thirst. If you look at the visuals, I remember watching an AFI. There was 100 years, 100 films. And Candace Bergen was talking about when Space Odyssey 2001 came out, and people would go to the front of the screen and just trip out, they'd probably be dropping ass. And they're like, especially during the Stargate, whoa, far out. She says, that's what you could hear people saying. And of course, there's the controversy that he filmed the moon landing. I'm sure Jason uh, Almi and Chris Wetzky and Adam Simmons would love that. They're getting a hard on right now as I say that. The moon landing that Kubrick filmed. Yeah. And Pink Floyd played over it because they did provide the score when the moon landing happened in 1969. And here we are. Twenty three years later. Talking about a man that died in 1999. Whose films are still very much embedded in our consciousness. I remember when I was going to go into film and someone who remained nameless said a very asinine statement. Oh, now you could remake A Clockwork Orange. And I said, why the fuck would I do that? Well, because and I said, no, why the fuck would I do that? Remaking someone's film is such a lazy, stupefying experience That's like taking Picasso and repainting it and and marking it as your own. Or even Salvador Dali. Copycats. And Kubrick didn't like copycats. He stroked them like the the godfather strokes the cat. And he made him an offer he couldn't refuse, basically. So as a filmmaker, you have to do your own thing. You really have to go out there. Other filmmakers have, like Bernardo Bettolucci with Last Tango in Paris, and my favorite, The Dreamers. Martin Scorsese with Taxi Driver, Goodfellas. I say that because we just, you know, two of the Goodfellas stars are gone. Talk about the extremes, the extremes of filmmaking. And even Scorsese had the utmost respect for Kubrick and said that one of your pitchers is, uh, is not even equal to like, or one of his pictures can be equal to like someone who has five others because his, pit, uh, Stanley Kubrick's films are like on steroids. That's my quote right there. They are like on steroids. You have to pump them up. You have to take them in. So that's the Dr. Seuss Film Podcast honoring Stanley Kubrick. You know, Stanley Kubrick flew too close to the sun. Let's get real. He did. He paid a price for it, both personally and professionally. He started out as a photographer. So don't sleep on us photographers and cinematographers because that's what happens. The vanishing point. It's always about that vanishing point, that horizon, that aspect ratio. And that was Stanley Kubrick's legacy right there. So you can fuck off with it. You can fly too close to the sun. Mic drop. Unpleasant dreams. Thank you, Maestro.